Hey guys, this is Elijah Daly, and I'm looking forward to diving further into the book of 1 Thessalonians with you. But I did want to let you know, we talk about some sensitive content in this episode. And so if you have little ones around, it may be one that you just might want to wait for. And we wanted to give you a heads up about this right before it even starts. Um, but when you are ready, we'd love for you to continue to dive in to see it, what it is God has to say today. Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Welcome back to our study in Thessalonians as we look at what life is like when we are waiting on King Jesus. Paul has been encouraging and celebrating the fact that the Thessalonians have been doing this really well, that he has seen and heard of their faith, love, and hope. And this is what God has called us to do as well as we await King Jesus. And Paul has unpacked what faith looks like when you're waiting. Recently, what we've been talking about is what love produces when we're waiting. And this is what he says. He says, love produces longing. Paul makes this clear when he's talking to the Thessalonians and and he's describing the frustration he feels because he can't be with them. Specifically, he's, he's frustrated because Satan is hindering him from being there. He's hindering him from the gospel work that he wants to do, but he's encouraged because God's doing it anyways. The Thessalonians are growing in every way, shape, and form, and Paul is ecstatic. The other thing that love produces is sacrifice. You see, Paul, although he couldn't be there, he didn't want to wait around for that opportunity to come. He didn't want to just send a letter. He sent Timothy, a very extension of himself, to go and to be with this church to help them. And this was at great cost to both him and Timothy as they gave up their their living to be able to, to, to move the gospel forward. And one of the things that we begin to see in that love produces sacrifice is that it doesn't just take sacrifice for those who want to share the gospel, but it takes sacrifice for those who want to profess it. Being a follower of Jesus is not always easy, but it is always good. And the other thing that love produces is joy. You see, true love won't always change our circumstances, but it will always change how we exist within them. And it didn't matter how much suffering Paul or others may endure because knowing that the Thessalonians were still standing in Christ was enough for him to find joy in the midst of it. And today we look further at how love produces holiness. If you remember, Paul initially started this section with a prayer, praying that God would allow him to get to the Thessalonians, but also that as that time came, they would still grow in holiness. So what I want to do is look at how Paul addresses how love should shape our holiness. So let's look at chapter 4. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Love produces holiness. It becomes pretty clear that Paul believes holiness will be a direct result of our love for Christ. He first encourages them that he is already seeing holiness, but reminds them that the work of the Holy Spirit in their life is still in progress. So he tells them, abstain from sexual immorality. 
And then he begins to describe a little bit more of what this actually means. But I want to point out before we even get into this, that this, this teaching is rooted directly inside of the will of God. This isn't outlined or defined by culture or philosophy or by Paul's own feelings on the matter. Paul has been given these, this instruction concerning sex from God, and it is meant to actually exalt it, to protect it, to keep it safely in place where it can be most enjoyed. Paul's warning against sexual immorality comes from the will of God. So what does Paul mean when he talks about sexual immorality? Here's what he means. Sexual, sexual practice that goes against what sex was created for. What was sex created for? Joy, intimacy, and reproduction. You see, joy is destroyed when it's prostitution or it's coerced. Intimacy is destroyed when it's not your spouse or it's only you. Reproduction is destroyed when it's same-sex interaction or only individual. And Paul then suggests a way that we overcome these temptations to want to cheapen sex and ultimately hurt ourselves and each other. It says in verse 4 that, that each one of us should learn how to control their body. But I think that the Greek here, it's actually a little hard to translate and understand. And I actually think that the King James and New American Standard Bible have it a little bit better. This is what it says, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. I think Paul is not talking about controlling our bodies, although we should. I think he's actually talking about taking another body to enjoy sex with that protects the joy, the intimacy, the reproduction, so that we can both enjoy the benefits of sex while still maintaining the sacredness of it. In fact, he says this in 1 Corinthians 7. He says that if you can't control your sexual urges, to marry, and this will help you be able to enjoy all of the benefits of it all. This is why Paul goes on to say that you shouldn't do this like the passion in the Gentiles who don't know God. You see, they're doing it in a dishonorable way. They are compromising one or more of the purposes of sex. He says that no one should do this. No one should do this because specifically it is an offense, not just against the person you are engaging with, but against God. And I want us to be really clear on this, that God is serious when it comes to sexual sin. Because it doesn't just separate, well, I should say, although all sin separates us from God equally, not all sin damages us equally. You see, sexual sin, it both damages us and the person who is involved. And the truth is, we may not always feel the consequences of sexual sin in privacy or with the person that's involved or the prosecution of the state. But let there be no mistake. God sees everything. Everything done in secret will be revealed. And God will be the prosecutor, the, the avenger, and the judge of our perversion. And the implications of what this means for us today, they shouldn't go unnoticed. You see, they had just as many temptations and outlets of abusing sex as we do. Prostitution, sex outside of marriage, homosexuality, these were activities that were as common, as common and accepted as eating and drinking in this time period. And so we're reminded that today we are still called to a higher view of sex. It's a higher view. It's not just an appetite for us. It's beauty. It's poetry. It's joy. It's life. And so let's heed Paul's warning here. Pornography, unfaithfulness through, through messages or over text or social media, homosexuality, premarital sex, these are all endangering our souls and actually stifling what is truly available in sex and in enjoying it. And Paul makes it clear in the last verse. Listen to what he says in verse 8. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. 
Love produces holiness. And Paul says, love also produces love. He says in verse 9, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. You see, love produces love. Paul says he barely has to mention this. The truth is that they already love each other. He's hearing about it, but he wants them to continue to grow in love. Because the truth is, we will never exhaust our ways in which we can care for one another. We will never exhaust the ways we can inconvenience ourselves for the sake of another that every person may come to know the gospel. So what kind of love is this? What kind of love is Paul noting here? It's brotherly love. It's that word Philadelphias. You know this word. It's where we get our Pennsylvania city name, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. He's saying that they are already embodying it, and yet they can continue to grow in it more and more. More than that, that in doing so, they actually show the world that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're a family, we're a growing family. And the reason this is meaningful is not just because, oh, we're a family, that's great, that's awesome but because this family is radically different than anything else that they have ever experienced. You see, this family, for the first time, includes people of every race, of every nation, of every language. This was completely countercultural to everything the Roman world knew. You see, Rome had a, a hierarchy of value, of superiority, depending upon who you were. Kings were greater than, than military men. Military men were greater than ordinary men. Ordinary men were greater than ordinary women. Ordinary women were greater than slaves. Not in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, our king became a slave. In God's kingdom, our king became like one of us. And we were offered something. We were offered something, not because of who we were, but simply because God had offered it to us. You see, in God's kingdom, the constituents are not determined by who they are in value or superiority because of their race or their nation or their language. They simply are, de- are, are offered a seat because of the grace and the love of God. And that grace has been offered to every single person. This is a radically new kingdom, and the whole community is starting to take notice of it because no community could, has ever been, been done in this way before. And people want in because love produces love. And Paul says, we keep going, keep loving because the world needs more of it even at the cost of ourselves. This is why Paul says to live quiet lives. He doesn't want the Thessalonians to start disrupting the Pax Romana, the, the peace of Rome, simply because they knew Caesar really wasn't king so they could do whatever they want, right? No, he wanted them to still obey the laws, be a good citizen as far as possible. And not only that, but to keep working to keep doing their best wherever God put them. Keep doing the job God placed you in and keep joining the work God is doing in your midst. You see, our faith and love, they don't excuse us from the worldly kingdom we were placed in. It doesn't call us to run away from it. Instead, it calls us to offer a new kingdom within it. A new kingdom is forming and it's threatening every other worldly kingdom. And there is a way that we can best live in it as we await the moment of our king's return in faith, love, and in hope. And next week, we're gonna talk about hope. We're gonna finish our study in 1 Thessalonians looking at what life is like when you're waiting on King Jesus in hope. 
We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us in our study of 1 Thessalonians. We know that some of the topics we discussed today can be challenging to understand and even harder to have freedom from. So we want to encourage you to reach out to our pastoral care team at cco.church staff for further information about how we can find freedom in Christ.